On today's episode 16, I'm speaking with Holly Ong, co-founder and one half of Sabeho, a Singaporean food startup based in Portland, Oregon, co-founded by Holly Ong and Pat Lau. The Sabeho brand aims to transport you to the multicultural tastes, sights and textures of Singapore with their signature line of sambal chili sauces. What started as two Nike executives missing the foods from their homeland turned into a popular supper club series that then generated a demand for their cult favorite sambal sauces. Now with a retail shop in Portland and nationwide shipping, they are poised to become everyone's new favorite secret sauce. Hey Holly, so great to have you on the show. Hey Julian, thanks for having me on this. It's the first time I'm doing it. How exciting. <laughs> this is your first podcast interview? <laughs> I've been listening enough of it uh, of everybody and anything under the sun that I can think about, but I've never ever had to do this with somebody and get it recorded before. So it's very exciting. Oh, it's you're going to be great. It's so easy. It's just forget forget anybody's listening. It's just two people chatting about food, you know. <laughs> it's always good. Yes. For, well, you know, let's tell people a little bit. I mean, people know I, I already told them what you do, but Sabeho, like, I think it's such a fun name. How did you guys come up with that for your company? Uh, well, in Singapore, we speak many languages, kind of like a mashed up version of English that we like to call Singlish. Um, uh-huh. and, and, Sibeho is actually a Hokkien word, and um, it's actually when we're growing up, it's a root word. <laughs> so it's rude. It's rude. <laughs> is that what you said? <laughs> it, well, when we're growing up, it, it was rude. We're like, don't say that. The, the nowadays, it's okay. It's legit to say that something is effing good. We will say it's Sibeho. Uh-huh. Um, and it came up because um, Pat and I have known each other for um, at least. Slightly more than 15 years. Um, and then throughout the years, we've cooked um, in places, right? Wherever we travel and work at. So we had a supper club and one of our friends, oh my God, this is Sibeho. I was like, oh, okay, that's quite a cool name. <laughs> uh, we kind of stuck to using it. My mom thinks it's great anyway, because she went, you did not call your company that. I said, yeah, mom, <laughs> isn't it Right. Great? Well, it certainly sticks. And so, and I'm, I want to make sure that people are saying it right. So the emphasis is on the ho, right? Uh, actually, basically, Sibe Ho is three Chinese characters. So Sibe uh-huh. is... Sibe um, Ho. <laughs> ho. Ho is the, like, good. So Sibe uh-huh. is actually the swear word part. But then, uh-huh. so you put it together, it's Sibe Ho. <laughs> Sibe Ho. <laughs> but, you're, but you're saying it, it's like kind of a swear word, but you're saying it when something is really good right and you would reserve it for when something is like effing good (laughs) right oh i love it i love it i love it i love that you tell people it's okay to use it you know it's not it's not offensive (laughs) oh we have other offensive stuff that nine nine word stuff i can't say on polite right but um, these are okay to use. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I think that I think that's great. And so your supper clubs, right? You started these supper clubs. This was before the pandemic and all this stuff. And you were you and um, Pat met through Nike, right? Yeah. So we started our career in Singapore, Nike, um, mm-hmm. and then through the years. So I moved here in two thousand and eight, and I stayed for about in Portland for about two and a half years, and then I went back home. 
Um, and then um, Pat moved to Shanghai, also with Nike. And then I moved shortly, and I, I I did the same thing too. And then she moved here. So our career paths have kind of followed each other. But the thing with well, work aside was we always miss food from home wherever we were at. So we always end up cooking. And there were people around us who are either Singaporeans or friends of Singapore who've been through and um, they miss food. And, you know, cooking for one person, two persons is never fun. And we always like to throw dinner parties. So we quite we did quite a few of that in Shanghai and also um, here when, when I moved here um, as well. So kind of started that in 2019 and we decided to cook all the food that we missed. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it really just came from like uh, stemmed from your desire to recreate the foods from that you missed, right? Because you were so far away from home. Yeah, because Singapore is almost 8,000 miles away, I think, from Poland. And then the, the thing is, um, when I travel, one of the things I like to do, there's a website or something called Eat With, and it's random. So you go to the city and then you decide you want to go to eat with random people who all love good food. It can be at somebody's kitchen. And this was all pre-COVID when travel was not. Uh-huh. Um, and I would routinely drop into some one of these. And usually the experiences were always fun. It's somebody's house, is hosted. Um, and the food was always whatever was seasonal and fresh and something that is um, local and you won't get it at a restaurant. And mm-hmm. um, we wanted to recreate that kind of experience here because Oregon has such amazing bounty. Um, mm-hmm. and, like, I remember we were in Manzanita and um, and it's a kind of a thing that we always do in summer. We'll head to Manzanita and we'll go to Kelly's Marina and they'll buy crabs and stuff like that, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then we were like, okay, hey, the crab's really good. Maybe you can cook Singapore chili crab with this. And we kind right. of- <laughs> Oh my god, this is so good! And I don't know, eaten like I love Singapore. The mud crabs you get uh, from Sri Lanka and around, but they're very hard to crack. And the Dandanese crab is very different because it lives in cold, very ice cold water. So the is the meat is very sweet. So mm-hmm. we're like, oh my god, this tastes great. Maybe we can do this. So we started doing that. Um, and then the the response from the community, I think people, Poland likes there's a lot of foodies, right? People, right good food and it was like hey we like doing this so we kind of started doing that um and the sambals were kind of a we have sambals in all our food um and it doesn't matter we don't eat singaporean food every day but i eat like everything people eat normal people eat here whether it's um avocado toast or eggs and things like that or pizza i love that normal people (laughs) (laughs) they're singaporeans and then there's normal people (laughs) it's like the normal food that you get every day easily whether you rock up to the sandwich shop or anything right kind of just always add sambal to whatever we are eating either it's a add-on or we put it inside Mm -hmm. so we at the supper club we didn't really talk much about our sambals that we made we just kept putting it on the table and we noticed that people kept asking for refills and right. that was COVID right so it was impossible business <laughs> <laughs> plan you never plan for pandemic right um, and that's where we kind of went okay maybe we can make um, sambal um, using local ingredients and um, getting it onto shelves here so that kind of started our journey into finding um like Oregon has a big food, um, we're very supportive of local makers. So we work mm-hmm. with, with Food Innovation Center in um, down, down, downtown. And right. 
Yeah, so the food sciences is fascinating, working with food sciences. I didn't know that was a career choice. <laughs> I didn't know either. I didn't know either till I moved to Oregon. And I, you know, we had uh, Sarah Masoni, the Million Dollar Palette on the show a while ago, who's the, the director of the Food Innovation Center. And it's just amazing how they, we have um, created such an industry of these wonderful makers, but taking that product to market, because a lot of people are making delicious um, things at home, but to preserve that flavor and to put it in a jar or in a bottle and take it to market is a you know really cool thing. So I, I was excited to see your sambals uh, get out there. It, I'd never seen it. My first exposure to sambal was I used to work um, when I worked in kitchens. I worked one of the ladies I worked with was Indonesian, and you know in a restaurant you always have family meal. You know they just cook. Mm -hmm. You know it's, chicken, it's always chicken and rice, <laughs> some version of chicken and rice <laughs> because it's cheap and you know. But I, it was uh, I was working at that time for David Boulay at a very nice fine dining restaurant. So. So their chicken and rice was, you know, was made with a uh, duck. <laughs> it was like duck with like rice. But she would always have sambal with her and she would put it on the chicken and rice and it would be so delicious. And I was like, what are you putting on your chicken and rice? And she would always give me some from this little jar. And um, and I loved it. And that, that was my first orientation to it. And when I when I ended up leaving um, that job, she gave me a little jar of her homemade sambal and I was like treasuring it because I didn't I didn't know you could buy it or, you know, anything like that. I didn't know how to make it. it she would tell me what's in it. And it sounded like there was like a million ingredients. I was like, there's no way I'm going to make this. But I remember I remember that. And her name was Novia. If Novia is out there listening. I always love that name, too. But she was my introduction. And I just remember it being delicious on everything. Like it made everything taste better. <laughs> No, you're right. And like sambal, like when we were trying to explain to consumers or friends what sambal was, that the area like in Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia and the area around, we all have sambals. So when I try to explain what it is, I kind of say it's imagine it's like um, in Italy, that's pesto. Every region has a specific pesto and every family has a pesto that they will make. So sambal's kind of the same thing, except that it has a spicy kick, but there's different ingredients that go into it um, to balance out the flavor. Sometimes it's a bit sweeter, sometimes a bit more funky, sometimes mm -hmm. it's a bit more gingery. So it really depends. Um, the three that we make are our, kind of like our favorites. Mm -hmm. And we make other ones for supper clubs as well, but those were not um, shelf-stable. Right. Yeah, and they're freshly made. So I remember mm -hmm. uh, my my aunt uh, will not eat anything without her sambal, and my grandmother will make one just for her. And that one is so spicy. My my, I'm just smelling it. <laughs> <laughs> I do think of it kind of like you know, like those people who carry around hot sauce with them, yeah. and they put it on everything. You know. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit like that, but it's not always spicy. That's the thing. Like pe some people think because it's like a essentially somewhat like a like the base is like a chili, right? So like a chili sauce, but it's not always like spicy in that you would think like when you hear chili sauce, you think, oh, it's like a heat thing, you know, because it's, it's more nuanced. There's more, um, there's more flavors in it. That's what I like about it. It's kind of, you, you can add it to things, either just eat it straight or that it becomes this other dimensional, almost like a, you know, like a secret ingredient, like it's not secret, but it's like a secret ingredient that you put in something and it all of a sudden it adds a lot, a lot of more uh, layers of flavor yeah. without, without a lot of effort because you put a spoonful of that and then you have like 30 ingredients extra in your dish. 
That's <laughs> what it tastes like. Call it like when I when I was in uni, um, I would smuggle some of it back back to school because I studied in Australia, and then mm -hmm. it was always the magic ingredient. Like if I'm I'm having canned soup or something doesn't taste quite right, I'll just stir a little bit in, and everything tastes fine. <laughs> right, I know. I put it in. The I was laughing because I put it into instant ramen the other day. Oh, yeah, that's good. Because <laughs> we all eat instant ramen, you know, just not all the time. But it's always there. And sometimes I just don't feel like cooking it as, as I don't I I never buy the cheapest instant ramen, but it's still instant ramen. And I was just getting a little bored of it. And I just put a little I just put a little spoonful in. And suddenly it was like a whole new flavor. <laughs> Delicious. And, um, you know, yeah, because the making of it, I mean, one of the reasons we thought, OK, we can actually do that was um, Oregon and Washington's actually. Well, this is the other thing I like to do. I, I geek out on food information. Right. So I was researching all the different types of onions and everything, because um, the onions that we get in at home when we we're making it um, was not it's not grown here. I mean, and um, it's like terroir when you're doing the wine thing, the different. Uh -huh places that grow different things, they just taste different. So we went through um, different types of onions, different seasons, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and balancing it out. Um, but Oregon and Washington are like the United States' largest um, growers of onions and allium, the whole entire allium family. Mm -hmm. um, so we were like, okay, we got to be able to find something that we can make and also at the scale we wanted to do it so that the taste was going to be as consistent as possible. Um, we did that with onions, we did that with uh, garlic was okay, but we did that with chili too because um, I love being here because I get to eat all the different types of Mexican food mm -hmm. um, and th there's Indian and everything and the chilies here are different too. So we literally ate probably more than 30 different types of chili. Every time we came across the one that looked about the same, we would try right. it. And they were like, oh, that doesn't taste the same. And it's on to the next. So for a while, I had like 25 different types of chili in my bag. Oh, yeah. So you were sourcing the ingredients because um, I know that it is uh, you're very committed to as much as possible to, to source locally. So you're basically finding the things that grow here, that thrive here, that can grow well, and then using those to create the flavors, pro flavor profiles that you're looking for. Yeah, um, we, we're trying, my goal or our goal is to do 100% if we can, but right now we mm -hmm. can't because it's just not, because I didn't realize this, so I went down the rabbit hole of Chile, and mm -hmm. apparently Chile was uh, Christopher Columbus and all those guys, it, it was originated from like South or like Latin America side and mm -hmm. drifted all the way to our side of the world. And then it became part of our side of the world, kind of like it grows because it's hot there as well, and then the treatment of it is different, like and how mm -hmm. So that's how I went down the rabbit hole of how many different types of chilies. <laughs> and you're even having people um, grow chilies for you too, right? Yeah. Kind of, I see, I, it's like almost like an experiment. Like, can you grow this chili and can we get that? So you're basically, you're, you're getting, <laughs> it's, it's very, it's very fun to see you, you, you go down this rabbit hole because it's like, you have all these chilies that you're researching, but then it's also like, can we grow these other kind of chilies too, to get it even closer? So introducing um, maybe things that are not natural or, or not, not having things that are not grown here already to get to be grown here for this purpose. Yeah, I would love to be able to buy everything that we need out of Oregon or at least in the U.S. on this site. Because the whole belt on this is agriculture. And the like. I was having a conversation with another friend. I, 
and she was like, oh my God, I can grow watermelons here, right? And then I have a very small patio, which you've seen. I just put something in there and just look at it. It Magically, it grows here. So I'm like, okay, if everything kind of grows here in Oregon because there's great water and great soil and great agriculture, surely I should be able to find everything I need. So we actually set ourselves that. It's like, okay, let's go down the rabbit hole. Can we make everything that we need out of here using what we can find here? Um, and when we can't, we will have to find, um, we, we, we use things that are not grown here as well but it's just because we can't find it right now but right. I would love to have one sambal that I can say it's 100% uh-huh. <laughs> I'm sure you'll get there you're still very new but I'm I'm sure you'll get there but I, I love that you're you're so dedicated to, to that so and um so where where is Pat? There you so you are two people. You are co- a company of two. Well, actually, you have more employees, but um, but as the two co-founders, and she's still she's still in her day job, right? Yeah, Pat's still on her day job. Um, <laughs> we, well, we can't feed the two of us right now. Um, eventually, I would love to have a company, but I think right now, um, I did I I left my job in 2019, and I doing the entrepreneurship thing. I think was a right time right place right circumstances because it was like hey i've been spending the last uh probably about almost 20 years doing creating product and creating a lot of consumer um want and products for people to buy but i was like Mm -hmm. hey what do i do that actually i like to make people happy and i remember one of the jobs i did i helped sell coffee for a brand with quite a relatively you know he's fronted still by a relatively um, good-looking U.S. actor. Um, oh, really? <laughs> you um, can't say who? <laughs> oh, yeah, I can't. I never got to meet him, though. I always want... It's George Clooney. I always wanted to go meet him. But Oh, never- really? You had that... You So you were... You worked on George Clooney's brand and you didn't get to meet George Clooney? <laughs> no, no. But um, selling coffee for the brand was fun because I got to work with all these um, B2B um, Michelin chefs and running events and stuff. Uh-huh. And it was happy occasions to... Like, people who like food are really nice. Uh- <laughs> they are. They are. That's the whole premise, right? I feel like... I'm so glad you said that because, you know, there's a lot of nice people in the world, right? There's, you know, it's just good people in all areas. But I find that personally, if somebody is really passionate about food, they tend to be good people, you know, salt of the earth, honest, just really passionate. I feel like it, like if you love food, there's something that in your soul that is just that I, that I generally like. And then there's a kinship when you meet somebody else who's like really into food, right? Yeah, because it's like a fundamental human need. But then if you like food and then you're, there's community around that. I remember I ran an event for like 10,000 people or something like that. And we were running low on pens. And we were like, oh my God, what are we going to do with pens? And because we had many little like different restaurants at the event, and I went, hey, let's just go ask all these guys, can they give us some pens and i just remember going like kind of like kind of little shop by little shop everybody didn't ask what why they just said you need pens sure take all of ours right (laughs) oh that's such a different thing and it was just helping the community everybody was just hoping to get you know happy people when they're fat are always very happy (laughs) right it's a spirit of hospitality i feel like food people are generally uh generous and i don't mean like generous is like giving all the time or you know uh you know money wise or whatever but they're giving of themselves and their soul and their time and their spirit 
it's this one is the same reason why they want to feed you and take care of you and make sure, you know, you're happy. It's the same the, the, why they gave you pens without no questions asked. <laughs> you need pens. We got pens. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that whole like the running the supper clubs was also a great insight because it was like I was happy doing just making nice food and then having people like sit together and eat. It was always mm -hmm. fun. And then um, when I go home for visits and stuff, I, I kind of like cook nonstop when I'm home. Um, the family just rocks out and they will eat anything and everything I'm trying. So <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> nice. And then friends would come by. So that was always a good um, kind of thing to do. Um, so this thing that we're doing, um, I think is a right time. Uh, right place and I I'm a lot I think I I'm a lot happier doing this than uh, creating um, high heat shoes for a very small group <laughs> <laughs> well we talked about this other day that like in Oregon when you live in Oregon or especially Portland everybody is like one degree separated from somebody at Nike <laughs> like, yeah, there's always yeah. some sort of connection but you know but I'm so glad that we you know we got to meet and um, when I let's talk about uh, Singapore, because when we talked about food people, it's so funny that when a long time ago, I remember I read someplace that uh, Singapore's national pastime, they have two national pastimes. One is eating, one is shopping, eating and shopping, <laughs> eating and shopping. And I was like, what? Is that really? Like, is it true? And then I had the, the good fortune to be able to visit Singapore uh, years ago. I had a friend I met in culinary school who... Um, she left a job. She left a job completely. I think it was in finance or something. She, you know, she was she went to London economics and studied finance and did all this stuff. And really, you know, her passion was always food. And she ended up going to the French Culinary Institute as a student. And that's where I ended up meeting her and we became friends. And I then by chance, I, you know, I was doing I was teaching uh, cooking classes on a Holland America cruise. They invited me to come teach like two weeks on a world on a world cruise they were going around the world but i i joined them in singapore and through australia and for two weeks and then flew back to the united states but i had the opportunity to go go there and eat in her hometown where she had you know where she had told me all these wonderful stories and i got to eat like chili crab and i got to go to the hawker stands and all this stuff and i was like you know you are absolutely right this country is delightfully obsessed with food it was like a whole nation of like people just like me i loved it yeah i mean i didn't realize um growing up like that's normal like that was our normal because it is very it's perfectly possible to eat 24 hours in a day in Singapore and and not repeat a single meal because we grew up with uh, Malays, Indian, Chinese and Pranakans all around us. And the food that we want to eat at any time is usually available. I mean, even if we're out partying at till 4 a.m., um, the best food at some at that time of the night, I'll just go to Geelong, which is kind of read like the street, but it's very safe. And mm -hmm. one of the favorite, two of the favorite things I like to do is the jumue, which is um, Chinese, kind of like a dialect group that is plain porridge, but you get to choose like 20 different things to, to eat with. Uh -huh. The other frog leg porridge, which is amazing. It comes in a clay pot and it's uh, the frog legs are cooked in kind of a dark caramelly saucy thing and you just stir the two. And when you're not quite sober, that's like really good. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of recovery, right? So it's perfect. Um, and it's and it doesn't feel heavy. I think that's the other thing. And although it's hot, we, we like spicy stuff because we eat it anyway, any time of the day. Right. And, 
Um, yeah, so you can literally travel around the world um, as well as eating. In Actually, I do that quite often wherever I'm at. Like last year, we couldn't travel, right? So um, I set out a goal. Could I eat a different cuisine in Portland? So I, I, I travel around the world here as well. I went to Venezuela, food. Mm -hmm. I went to Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Singapore is, is possible to do that. Except we do it through the, our own local. So there's nothing. Like one of my favorite places where one of my best friends lives is, is a street called Little India. And in Little India, um, we can get North Indian, Sri Lankan, South Indian, uh, Nepalese, um, subcontinent like Bangladeshi, Pakistani, like every single type of um, Indian food you could possibly think of, whether um, it's there. And right. we, then, then that's just the Indian side. And then with the Chinese part, because we're a nation of immigrants, right? So we had, a, so my great, my grandparents are, well, one, no, I'm third generation, like one, two, three, yeah. And then, um, but they came from uh, the Chaosan area. So that's kind of Techu. Pat's side came from the Cantonese side. So we grew up with different types of Chinese food. And then the um, China Chinese started to immigrate to Singapore. So now we can get um, all the like Chongqing stuff, the Mala stuff. And then, because um, I when I used to travel to China quite a fair bit for work before I, I moved to Shanghai, um, I love like um, the Tianbings. Um, and then the Northern dumplings are different as well from the... Mm -hmm. Japanese gyoza and stuff. So we, we get to try all of that. And it's because it's so small, right? Um, Singapore is so small that when, when you take off on the air flight, I think in less than 10 minutes, you're out of our airspace. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's amazing for such a small island nation. I remember just the variety of the food. And I, ha and I went to Little India too. And I remember having the most delicious Indian food, but it was like unlike Indian food that I had had in New York City. <laughs> I don't know what part of what part I was probably eating like a, a mix of lots of different parts of Indian cuisine, but it was um, just really different and really flavorful. But it felt like another country within the same country. <laughs> yeah. and, and what was interesting, and I never realized this until somebody else told me and I was uh, thinking about it. I said, oh, yeah, that's true. Like there's a Indian uh, curry that we really like to eat is fish head curry. Essentially, oh, yeah, that's what I had. I had fish head curry for the first time. She says, oh, you, you must try this. And I loved it. Yeah, but that doesn't exist in India because and the dish started because um, the dog workers were trying to create food out of food waste. Like mm -hmm. people were processing the food at uh, the fish at the dock and chucking out the head. But it, it became the Indian saw that and then they made curry, which the Chinese like. And then now there's that that's a, like something normal that we will eat and, and get it as well. So that's quite a few of those things that I never thought was um, not normal in the home country or where it came from. Like Hainanese right. rice actually was created by Hainanese immigrants um, that moved to Singapore because I had an uncle and I, this is all anecdotal, right? So I'm not 100% sure where it's true, but um, my, my uncle went to... It's Sanyang. true because you said it's true. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah, but my uncle went to... And then to Hainan, which is in Hainan, where the Hainanese came from, and he said there's no chicken rice there. Right. And, and now there is because the it's a reverse. Um, the Chinese um, immigrants who came to Singapore brought it back to Hainan. So there's Singapore chicken rice, which I never thought was different from, well, yeah, it's Hainanese right. chicken rice to us. 
Yeah, I had that. I had that dish there too, and um, I remember hearing that story that this doesn't exist in um, you know where it's the origin, but it's a little bit like uh, like General Tso's chicken, right? It's like an Americanized, in invented here Chinese dish that doesn't actually exist in China <laughs> at all. I actually like American Chinese food because um, it's it's different. It's a distinct, different type of cuisine here, and it to me that that's American Chinese food. But um, I, I like. I like that too. <laughs> yeah, it has its own category. We, I remember, there's yeah. a great documentary if you're if you're ever looking for something to watch. It's called uh, "Searching for General So's Chicken," mm -hmm. but just prepare. You should order um, Chinese American food. Order some General So's chicken because this documentary is. It's basically they're they're following the origin to find out where they go to China and they have pictures of the dish and they're asking people um, they went to the birthplace of General So they're asking him like do you know this dish do you know what this is and they're, everyone's like I don't know what it is <laughs> I've never seen it I have no idea and they traced it back it was invented in the United States but it makes you so hungry when you watch this documentary <laughs> so like order in order some Chinese food watch a documentary it's super fun but yeah I love dishes like that because you know things have its own that's, uh, you know, it's kind of like, what is it? I'm thinking of like um, Vietnamese Cajun food or like Viet Cajun food <laughs> or things like that that don't exist in um, the motherland. But when the immigrants come, they bring their flavors and their what and but they use local ingredients. So they're influenced by other cultures that are near them and they create a whole nother cu cuisine, which is you know, I think that's great. Yeah, I think sometimes I oh, I think that some. So this category of people who are very absolute snob, like very strict about I'm like, no, I, if it tastes good at the end of the day, it should be okay. And yeah, it's, uh, I think that's the fundamental, like if it tastes good, then it's like, it should be good. <laughs> yeah, if it tastes good, if it's coming from an authentic place, like it's not like, like I hate that word fusion, you know, because it just sounds, like, I think of like those bad 80s restaurants where we're like, it's a mashup between this and that. It's called, you know, Mexican Chinese fusion, you know, like I don't, I that's don't not like, what we're talking about, like where like it's forced. I don't like foam on my food. <laughs> <laughs> and I was very afraid when I was doing press of, I call it the small food, big plate places. I was like, oh. right. I get a very big plate and two things, two very small things on the plate. I know it's a lot of thought that went into, but it, then I'm like, I can lick the plate. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, well, you talk about foam. Like I used to work for, I was like the vice president of EC, but we, all we did was foam. We did, we, <laughs> we carbonated, we aerated, we foamed, we whipped everything. And this was during the, the like the height of molecular gastronomy. And that's all I did was I eat at those restaurants, those big plate, small food places. <laughs> so, it's so funny that you mentioned that because yeah, that was my life for a few years. <laughs> funny, Cause actually um, I, I've been very lucky. So I did a post-grad uh, grad school in a uh, semester in Barcelona. And that was the height. Like, I didn't really realize that Adrian Ferrer was very famous then. I didn't go down to Roses. But all I remember was, okay, class wasn't really hard. So I just went I went to Tapas Bar after Tapas Bar and ate my way through that. That's why I went, you don't need foam on food. Right, right. <laughs> well, you know, it's it gets a bad rap because there was a lot of people putting foam where it didn't belong. And they weren't doing it right. It wasn't good. It just looked like soap suds on stuff. And yeah, I definitely agree. But at the same time, you know, I feel like there is always room for people to be progressive when it comes with food and be experimental and play with food and experiment with food, you know, and find what you like, find what you like.
There's a food kind of like a guy, a chef, a lawyer turned chef called Will Will Chef Will Willitkin, I think. And ooh, I heard their his name wrong, but I do like to go. I went to his restaurant, and what I really liked about it was he was, um, and he had a place called Relish, and he did. There's a prawn stock noodle that we grew up with, and he made foam, I think, out of the prawn stock. He was intensely concentrated, and it was so yum. So I was like, yeah. okay, there's a room, there's a place for foam when it's thoughtfully done, but if it's just for the something else, I was like, mm, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 I agree. It has to be like concentrated flavor, good texture. Anyway, we will, we will, we will get off on the foam tangent because I can talk foam like a whole episode. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but anyway, so Singapore, um, you know what I remember so much that I, I, I saw you guys making this is when I was there, it was my introduction to like Singaporean breakfast mm-hmm. with the, with the coffee and with, you know, I say coffee, but it's not, it's their own coffee, right? It's a concentrated yeah. coffee with con- sweetened condensed milk. Is it Kaya toast mm-hmm. with the egg, with yeah. the soy and the white pepper, like that whole breakfast, the first time I had it, I couldn't get enough of it. And I, I think I ate it like every single day that I was there. I just loved it so much. And I know that you guys are making uh, kaya jam, right? Yeah, we, we make kaya. Um, we make it, it's actually done in really small batches and it takes a long time to make because there's um, there's a lot of work that goes into it because it's like a double boiled custard kind of thing and you're stirring constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, but kaya, kaya toast is kind of an iconic thing that we have at home with, we have with kopi which is mm-hmm. the coffee that you had. Because our coffee is generally um, is roasted with, because um, they use mainly Robusta out in, in that part of the world, and they roast it with margarine, spices, um, and, and sugar, actually, to get the caramelization process correct. Mm-hmm. And then when it's ground, and it's poured through kind of like a French um, filter, like a, it, it actually is called a sock, but it's not. It's like, think of it like a, like a muesling cloth, and you're pouring it constantly through that. Mm-hmm. Um, you can drink it in many different ways. You can drink it black. You can drink it um, with condensed milk, evaporated milk. Um, you can have it extra thick. So there's a whole vernacular to how you can drink your coffee. My favorite way of drinking is kopi si kosong kao, which means uh, coffee. Say that, con- say that 10 times fast. <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, coffee, uh, coffee uh, with evaporated milk without sugar and extra thick. Mm, that sounds delicious. And then we will have it with uh, kaya. It is delicious. I, I like it iced as well. When it's particularly mm-hmm. hot, we will have it iced. Um, and the kaya toast is, um, I think it's our part, anywhere that has coconut, that grows coconut in abundance, I think generally has something like that. But ours we use with, with sugar um, and it's with egg and it's caramelized. It makes the consistency is like curd, but we like to eat it on bread on toast and then we have a soft kind of softball egg where we put in soy sauce um kind of white pepper and you dip your toast into that concoction to break the yolk and, and then yeah. you just eat the whole thing it's just so great because it's like sweet savory like warm cold like everything it's like great yeah a lot of and things we like is sweet and savory yeah i do too i, I don't understand like I, when i go to breakfast when i go with like brunch or whatever I'm always torn because I always have to get two entrees and I become that pusher at the table. Like everyone orders something and there's not sweet and savory. I'm like, but we must get a, a separate plate of this, you know, <laughs> so that I can get something sweet and savory. Like I can never just order waffles or pancakes or just or- order like the sausage or the, you know, the, cause you need to have the combination. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, and the breakfast culture in Singapore is immense because um, we can get like different types of breakfast. You get your your bun, steam buns, and then you get the noodles. You can get your Malay noodles, your Indian um, dosa. One of my parents just moved to a new place in the um, and um, my favorite breakfast on that side is prata, which is Indian like like roti chanai and yes. like, but because they're not they're Indian Muslims I can get dosa at the same time so I'm like oh great I can have both of the both worlds and then I have tetarik which is kind of like a masala tea but slightly different um, and it's it's very convenient that it's not very far so that's why when I get continental breakfast with cereal and bread, it's really not very exciting for me. Oh, it's totally not exciting at all. You know, and when I'm when I'm at home, I actually don't eat breakfast other than I, I might have a cookie with my coffee. That's my famous breakfast as I eat cookie with coffee. And then um, but when I travel, I always make time for breakfast. In fact, I when I travel, it's an opportunity to see how many times I can squeeze in food during the day. So there's like there's First breakfast, second breakfast, early lunch, middle lunch, late lunch, snack, pre-dinner, dinner, dinner, late dinner, supper, you know, midnight snack, dessert, you know, because I'm basically looking for every opportunity where I can like try something new to eat something new. But at home, you know, I'm just like, I'll drink regular coffee and maybe a cookie and that's it. (laughs) But I I love that about um, the culture is like you can have so many different things at breakfast. Yeah, and I think one thing nice is we never thought about it as different uh, from different um, races back home. Because, like, I remember on the weekends, my parents would go out and buy breakfast, and they'll come back, and I'll get misyam, and then there's carrot cake, which is not is the savory one that that we mm-hmm. like, and then you it's usually the white one, and then sometimes my parents will buy both the white carrot cake and the black carrot cake, and then we'll have whoa, uh, whoa, whoa. Black carrot cake? <laughs> okay, the carrot cake I know is like orange <laughs> when it has cream cheese frosting. That's the only carrot cake I know. So when you talk about white carrot cake and black carrot cake, I need an explanation. <laughs> so carrot in Chinese is luopo. And then the the translation for is actually a daikon So if for us. So they make a kind of like a steam cake with that. So it's carrot cake. So in English, it translates to carrot cake. When, um, but it's actually radish cake. And then you, they fry it in two different styles because they chop it all out after they steamed it. And then they fry it with um, preserved radish, uh, scallions, and egg and lard. The good shops use lard. And then yes. or you can do, you can do um, the, the black version, which is they will put in caramelized sweet um, soy sauce. Uh-huh. Caramelizers. So when we were growing up, it was always a, do you want a white one or a black one? And we're like, uh, these things. <laughs> Decisions, decisions. Yeah, you know, I've actually, I actually have had this radish cake. I've never called it a carrot cake, though. Yeah, in English, when you say fried carrot cake, right? So, but actually, the Mandarin is, is actually radish cake, but it, it translates to carrot. Okay, okay. <laughs> but well, yeah, you get all this stuff for breakfast. So cereal, mm, not exciting. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I know. You come to the United States, and people are offering you like, you know. A bowl of cornflakes. How boring was that, you know? I remember in college, um, in um, cornflakes was kind of like a snack food for me with milk. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll have that. But it wasn't a breakfast thing that way. Yeah, yeah. What was that like going to, going to college in Australia? Um, I went to a small town one. So it was very bizarre coming from a big uh, city state, right? So I remember waking up, I would hear the cows move. And I was like, <laughs> 
am I? And then it was so funny. We would drive to school and then we had to stop because the koala was crossing the street. Oh, so of course you must stop. <laughs> I would get out. I would get out and like watch the koala. <laughs> yeah, but it's just so bizarre that, that you hear that in the kookaburras as well. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, it was it was great because um, I was in Victoria, which is where Melbourne, the capital city is. And mm -hmm. They are very big on food. So it reminds me a lot of Oregon, actually, because there's the sea and then the vineyards. That's where I learned how to drink wine, actually. Because right. Because big wine industry out there. Mm -hmm. um, and then coming here reminded me because of the, the snow-capped mountains, beautiful, mm -hmm. the river and then sea being close by as well. Um, and then, like, in Melbourne, I would... <laughs> I remember when, we, when I moved to the city... Um, and the day was particularly nice. You're heading to school, and then it's like, oh, it's such a nice day today. Maybe let's not go to school. Right. Let's go surfing. <laughs> let's go to the beach. We went home fish and chips on the coast. Oh, I know. I, I only got together once. I was in uh, Cairns. Is it Cairns? Is that how you say it? Um, went to the, yes. Yeah. I went to the Great Barrier Reef, and then I went in Sydney. But what a what a fun place to be, and they have great food too, you know? Lots of culture of eating and drinking. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of drinking in Australia. Good beer, too. <laughs> yes, good beer. See, it, you're right. It actually is a lot. I never really thought about it. It is a lot like Oregon because you have the wine, you have that, the agriculture, you have the beer, the fish yeah. and chips. <laughs> the, water, the water is so important. I think we don't realize, like, especially now because we're kind of in drought season and fire everywhere, we don't realize how important having sources of good water is. Um, my mom always laughed when she said like Chinese beer is good because they have water up in Harpin. Um, and when I think about it, it's like when you want to do any food, it kind of starts with water. Yeah. And good soil. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. You think we'd have better bagels, you know, <laughs> in Portland because <laughs> it's all about the water. You know, the New York City bagel is all about the water. I'm like, we must have better water here than in New York City. How come oh, we can't get a decent bagel? <laughs> um, apparently, New York water has something in it. I can't remember what, but I was talking to somebody and they said, because New York's water is different. Sorry, that's my cuckoo clock. <laughs> oh, I know. I love their cuckoo. Um, <laughs> I'm cuckoo for your cuckoo clock. <laughs> yeah, but that, the whole water thing is also why noodles are different. Like in, in our part of the world, in Singapore, there's a famous town in Malaysia called Ipoh. And Ipoh Hofan is famous because they have limestone caves all around. Uh -huh. And their noodles have a spe specific chew to it. Oh, so yeah. part of our noodle exploration when we came here, because the amazing thing when I go to the Asian grocery shops here, my noodles, like the noodles come from Thailand, Taiwan, Hong Kong, China, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Korea, everywhere, right? So we were hunting for the right noodles to cook some of the things we wanted to eat ourselves. Um, and then Umi makes her own noodles here and we're like, oh my God, that's got the right chew to it. So um, we couldn't describe it because back home we call it QQ and that's a sp specific chew. Um, mm -hmm. Apparently, it's alkaline in the water when because um, she adds alkaline a lie. Oh I think. yeah, you know my son loves the uh, umi yakisoba noodles. Mm -hmm. In fact, I just I order them. <laughs> I, the only place I can really find them is I have the Alpen Rose delivery service. <laughs> they have it on their app, so I order it. But I must make him yakisoba at least once a week with that with those noodles. And there, you're right; they have a nice little chew to it, like the tooth toothiness to it. Yeah, yeah, it's different. it's different from Italian al dente noodles, but there's a, yeah, there's a chew. 
So, it's like, remember when you tried the some of our desserts and you said there's a certain bite to it? Oh, I know. I love that. I think some people some people don't like um, certain Asian desserts because they, I don't know, there's there's a lot, there's a whole category of kind of chewy, chewy, <laughs> how would you describe it? Like chewy, kind of gummy or, or, you know, the kind of like that texture, right? Yeah. And you either, you kind of, you love it or you hate it. And I love all those chewy, gooey that I, I say it's not gooey, not like caramel sticky, like American sticky kind of gooey, chewy, but it, there's this kind of chewiness to a lot of Asian yeah. rice dumpling type things. Oh, I love those. Yes, I had some amazing ones. We you you had a we had an event not long ago, and which was it? It was was it sweet potato? Had some sweet potato in it? Yeah. So onde onde, it's a Malay thing that we Malay kueh. Um, kueh is a generic term for all kinds of like little. It can be steamed, it can be fried, it can be uh, baked, uh, or boiled. Um, but it's a generic term that covers everything that small little dessert or street mm-hmm. street snack. So the one we made was called onde onde. It's we used um, local organic sweet potatoes and we made um, the the outside with glutinous um, flour and the inside was wrapped with gula malacca so, and it's rolled in coconut. So when you bite into it, you get the nice ooze of little like caramelized uh, the gula malacca and then it's the chewiness that we like too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, they were. that was a big hit at the table that I was sitting at. Everyone was like, ooh, like as soon as you bit into it and they had that little bit of sweetness in the center. And I like that they're not so sweet. I always, um, you know, having been a former pastry chef, everyone thinks that I have a major sweet tooth. And I like, I, you know, I definitely have a sweet tooth, but I find most desserts to be too sweet. And that's what I like about most Asian desserts is they're not that sweet. You know, a yeah. little bit of sweetness, but a not overly of, sweet. Yeah, a lot of things we, we make, including our kaya, because um, Pat's got kids at home. And generally, I don't have a sweet tooth. But we don't like super sweet stuff. So we always, like, anytime the recipe calls for, if we're making cakes and stuff, calls for a cup, I have it. And sometimes I even quarter it. I don't, I don't use all of it. Are you doing that for American recipes? <laughs> yeah, American recipes, not our recipes. <laughs> but fat, I always keep. Fat, you Okay, keep. yeah, because I was going to say, you know, because there's a certain, you can cut down to a certain extent, but also sugar, if we're talking about, like, chemistry sugar has qualities that will affect the texture of things and the structure of things so like when people go i because you give them a recipe or something like that and they go oh but i cut the sugar in half or i quartered the sugar and it didn't turn out right it was like guess you quartered the sugar (laughs) well it depends if i'm doing the meringue kind of stuff you can't you need the sugar else you won't right right? so there's definite things where you can cut the sugar and it doesn't affect the 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 outcome but there's (laughs) definitely but yeah i think that the in general i feel like it's like with anything and when foods are too spicy or too sweet or too salty or whatever, it's like you miss the flavors, like you miss the the layers of the flavors, you yeah. know, and that's why when I think about like even sambals, like I try, you know, you, you can, there are certainly like your, your, like your, you mentioned your family member who likes that super spicy one. Um, but there's, it's nice when it's spicy but it's also like you can taste the underlying flavors in it. Mm-hmm. And then when you put it in a dish, you still want to taste the ingredient for what it's highlighting. Like if you're eating it with fish, you want to taste the the flavors of the fish or the chicken or the herbs that might be in there, you know? Yeah, I think it's the, I don't know. I think we have five or, was it, did they count umami as a sixth sense or something? Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, well, apparently they do. <laughs> 
but it's kind of like the balance that we always look for i think um i think some of the things that we we look at was like it's very hard to explain but when we make our sambals essentially pan i taste it together and uh-huh. then we'll come to a consensus with what the thing is so it's based on our um memory of something so i will make something or pat will make something and then we'll kind of come to a, a like kind of like a blending of our taste buds mm-hmm. right no i think that it's worked out great because I, I do think that the flavors are really nice and they they're distinct enough and even that way that you use them um you know you give great suggestions on your website you know and i i tell people that Oh, I should say, you heard it here first, although I keep telling people this, so they probably heard it someplace else. I say, okay, you you know, last year, the year before, whatever, it was all about the chili crisp, right? People were putting chili crisp on everything, right? They were putting it on their avocado toast, they were putting it on their scrambled eggs, they were eating it. And it became this thing. And you saw all these chili crisps come out on the market. Like, you know, there was original old school versions, but then there's all these new ones, right? Mm-hmm. But it's like, if you love chili crisps, but here's something different that's kind of like that, but it's it's authentic. Like what you're making is not made up. It's an authentic thing, but you can use it in many of the same ways. You know, enjoy it in that same. It's a good it's a good introductory point. I think if people like chili crisps, you would probably like um, to maybe incorporating sambals in your life that maybe you haven't you haven't had in the past. Yeah, and I think it's like there's no strict rules. It's whatever you want to try it with, you can. Um, it's what you feel. I think food is personal as well. So if you like it, you eat it. Um, like I love cheese, right? <laughs> and I'll, I haven't met a cheese I never like. I, <laughs> <laughs> I still try, but I'll eat my way through all of it. Um, I, I, I just put that on and I was like, oh, actually, this is because it's the sweet and savory we were looking for, right? So. Right. Um, one of like the boom sambal that we have has that sweet and savory. Um, and then when you put it onto the cheese, suddenly it opens up another whole uh, taste spectrum. Because um, I like um, the quince jam, I think. Uh-huh. Oh, I do too. Yeah, with cheese yeah. and crackers. Yeah, so I was like, oh, and I think I remember I was tired. I came home, I was like, I wonder if I can, I just put the two together with a glass of wine. That became my dinner on the lot. Right. Oh, yeah, you told me the story. And I think that's so great. You have, it's like, okay, this is what I ask food people, you know, because oftentimes when you're cooking, you know, food people, they cook, you know, you say, what did you cook last? And they describe these elaborate meals they made for friends when they come over. But like, when it's just themselves, it's like, what do you have for dinner? Oh, I had a glass of wine. Um, cheese crackers and I put sambal on it you know it's like well it's a perfect meal yeah you, you know sweet savvy crunchy you know all the all the you hit all the flavor notes yep <laughs> yeah it's easy <laughs> yeah because I had um Tillamook um was that was a uh, one of our uh, customers brought some aged Tillamook cheese and I oh, never yeah. I didn't even know they had that right so I was like um, and he had those like little salt crystals inside the aged. Mm-hmm. You know when cheddar is aged, is so good. Um, yeah. yeah, that was. I was like, oh, this is like perfect. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. There's so I. You know, I. It's true that people shouldn't be intimidated, and they should enjoy the foods that they like. I mean, I'm a big um, condiment person. Besides sambal, what do you like? What what are, what are your favorite condiments that you have in your refrigerator? Um, I have that Ohai mayo that I really, I found it at the basics market. And I, because mayo, I there's always a hit and miss to it. So, but I like that one because it has um, the whole mustard seeds and a slight tinge of lemon. So that one mm. I always have. Yeah. Um, 
condiments wise, I always have some kind of tahini or sesame paste, whether it's the Chinese version, the the Lebanese version, but I always have that. Um, and hummus, because those are my like, so in, in Shanghai, I like to eat sesame noodles. And mm-hmm. last year during COVID, well, you know, you're kind of stuck. So you kind of did the whole pantry. What do I have and put together? I, I hacked sesame noodles with hummus and sambal and noodles and, and scallions. And I was like, oh, my God, this tastes the same. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's she's a perfect, you know, because everyone's making like, yeah, you're absolutely right. It was like the pantry staple. People were making it with like peanut butter, <laughs> I saw peanut butter, soy sauce, sesame oil with like spaghetti noodles, <laughs> making sesame noodles. That was like, I don't know if that's quite right, but uh <laughs> It, it, it's not very it very close because I have um a rice you need the right vinegar I mean if you don't have the Chinese rice vinegar that's the black one that's fine you can just use balsamic or something but the whole blend with a bit savory a bit like the nuttiness and then the spice and the scallions from the freshness from the scallions it, it just really worked out um and yeah I think my biggest pandemic takeaway last year I got into the whole sourdough thing I was baking bread my neighbors were very happy because there, there was no way I could eat oh, you got into the sourdough thing too you oh. had I did it and I, I still do it. So I started to make all these sourdough other stuff too. And I tried with all the Chinese <laughs> recipes. So I made paus with sourdoughs. Cause I mean, I kind of like I, I'm not a good baker. I don't really like to do that. But I was playing with it. I was like, oh actually this isn't too bad. It's it's Yeah, it's steamed, right? Oh, that's great. That's a great idea. Yeah, sourdough bao. <laughs> I've never really thought about that. You know, my sister makes bao. She did it with um, she was doing a recipe thing, and she did it with uh, the Pillsbury biscuits. Oh, and you can steam those. Oh, <laughs> put in your filling and just use those Pillsbury out of the can, pop it, and put it in the steamer, and it's surprisingly very good. Yeah. Okay. Who would have okay. thought, right? <laughs> Yeah, condiments wise um i well i definitely have ours but then the i have fundamentals here i think because i guess kind of mix and match i have to think a bit harder about what i have but i know the sesame paste is always something there because in poland you can go shop in the lebanese um shops and then uh-huh. i go to the asian so either one of them i always just pick up one so i always have it yeah I, I tell people to like it's it's all about the pantry. You have a well-stocked pantry with like the things that you like to cook and you can put them together. Um, you can put meals together very quickly if you have a nicely stocked pantry. doesn't have yeah. to be huge, but just like the things that you like to eat, you know, and make. Yeah. All right. Final question. Um, favorite kitchen tool. <laughs> I know uh, you like to collect things in your kitchen. Uh, my favorite one is... Um, I I was in India for work and then um, at a sh- next to we were going on market visits to look at shops and then next to the one of our shops I saw a provision shop and I walked in and I had to borrow seventy rupees which is I don't know like maybe ten cents from <laughs> or US or something but oh yeah because yeah. <laughs> uh, I had no local currency on me right so uh-huh. it's a lemon it's a lime press. Like you can squeeze lemons out of it, but mm-hmm. it's very small. It's not like the giant ones you see here. It's oh, it's just size for a little lime. Yeah, and it's it's size for Asian. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh my goodness! You know, years ago I was working um, when I was decorating cakes. I was making very fancy wedding cakes. You know, sugar flowers. And um, Ron Ben Israel, he makes all these beautiful cakes in New York City. He does all the celebrity cakes. And he was he was telling me he was trying to get me to work at his um, 
uh, his his shop making very delicate sugar flowers and he's like you just have such nice small asian hands <laughs> i was like laughing i was like are my hands that tiny um because because it basically he was giving me a compliment that i can do really delicate work but anyway uh that is so funny i'm gonna have to see your little lime press i, w I want one now <laughs> it's about half the size of um the ones here the mexican ones Right. I don't okay, think now I need you to go to a Mexican restaurant and carry your own lime press with you. <laughs> Pull it out of your purse and be like, squeeze your own lime with it. Actually, the one I've been hunting, I was in, um, there was a little um, like tempura shop in, in Japan that in Tokyo I like to go to. They have a little lime slice in the shape of a duck. I've been looking everywhere for it. I haven't been able to find it. But you, use, you put a slice of lime and you squeeze it over. It's so uh -huh. Japanese. It's a shape uh. of a little duck. And you can squeeze your lime out of it. I haven't been able to find it. <laughs> okay, internet, help Holly find her little lime press. <laughs> I'm somebody's up. Somebody out there must have it on eBay or something. Yeah, I don't know sure. know about it. <laughs> well, Holly, it is always so nice to talk to you. This is just a reminder of how much it is fun to talk to somebody who loves food and loves cooking and collecting kitchen gadgets just as much as I do. So. <laughs> so much for having me it was so fun ch chatting and reminding me of home too i need to think about what we want to cook this weekend actually thank you for listening to episode 16 of food people are the best people with holly ong of sabejo look for their signature sambal sauces at fine grocery stores and at sabejo.com thank you holly for joining us Yes, I know. Well, I'm looking forward. You better post some pictures because I always live vicariously through other people's cooking ex expeditions. So.